In this episode of Euctropolis, the fine art of not playing the A string. Plus, can animals sense what a song is about? And finally, creating depth using dynamics and articulation. Welcome back to the Euktropolis podcast for more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions. These are all questions from students at euktropolis.com. That's where you'll find a library of unique online ukulele courses, including Booster Uke, the Ukulele Way, the Jehui Teacher Certification Program, as well as free resources like Ukulele in the Classroom, a three-volume set of ebooks to teach ukulele in schools. I'm your host, James Hill. This week, we're focusing on student questions from the Ukulele Way Book 6. Yes, that's the final level of the Ukulele Way method. And in case you're not familiar with the Ukulele Way, it is a six-volume set of resources totally devoted to one thing, and that is the art and science of solo ukulele. Solo ukulele is where you play the melody and the chords and the rhythms all at the same time on one instrument. something like that. I've been working at this for years. I got fascinated by this style of playing when I was a teenager. The idea that you could juggle all the parts simultaneously on one instrument was just amazing to me. And uh, I've learned a lot from a lot of players, and I've learned a lot from just woodshedding myself. And I've put all of that into the ukulele way method, which takes you from very, very simple, basic exercises through to some of the things we're going to look at today with questions coming to us now from the final chapter of that method, book six. And our first question comes to us from Wayne. He's working on book six, lesson three. This is Elenke. And Elenke is a Bulgarian traditional piece. And Wayne says, I love this arrangement. I'm trying your suggestions for dynamic variation but I'm having trouble with muting or avoiding the A string. Are you muting it just by missing it in the strum, or are you muting it some other way? Okay, so this is a really interesting question, and just to give you context, the piece Wayne's talking about is a traditional melody from Bulgaria, and I'll play a little bit of it now so that you get the flavor of it. It goes like this. So it's this 
beautiful sort of intoxicating melody and these lovely open chords that seem to just hang in the balance because a lot of them don't have the third in them. They're not this and they're not this. They're just these neutral, what we might call power chords <laughs> in, uh, in North American culture because those are the chords that you hear in rock and roll, whether it's you know Smoke on the Water uh, by Deep Purple or any number of other very riffy rockin' tunes, they all rely on this same kind of neutral chord that doesn't have a third in it. And what Wayne is talking about in particular here is what to do when you don't want to play a certain string. This is a really interesting problem because so much of our ukulele life centers around how to play a string and how to get a good tone from a string that when we're faced with the challenge of not playing a certain string sometimes that can really throw us for a loop and in this case we have to not play the a string the first string the one closest to the ground as we're playing i want to play the fourth third and second strings but i don't want to play anything on that A string. Because if I do, it'll cover up the melody, because the melody is this note. And if I accidentally play the A string, it will confuse the listener, and they're going to not be sure about what the melody note really is. This is one of the central lessons of the ukulele way, is how to keep the melody in the spotlight, even when you're playing chords at the same time even sometimes when the chords have notes that are higher sounding than the melody. How can you still keep the melody front and center? Because melody is still king. I mean, I'm a real rhythm guy. I love rhythm. I really love harmonies, jazz harmonies in particular. But I still have to take my hat off to melody. Melody is still the diamond in the setting. Everything that we play is to support the melody. When I play a rhythm or a groove, or I play some uh, chords, you know. All that is just to support the melody. And, you know, I have to, <laughs> I have to laugh because I think back to my, my early days of recording sort of groovy you know, uh, improvisations, I guess, in my bedroom as a teenager. And I was so into rhythm and harmony and not so much into melody. And so they'd be these sort of instrumental jams that I would make up and I'd record them on a cassette and then I'd play them for friends and family. And inevitably, the feedback that I would get, the first thing that people would say is they would say, wow, this sounds like a great backing track for a singer or they would say wow cool that man that sounds great where's the melody or they would say something like you know this this would make great background music and you know that used to annoy me so much because i was always like well this is the this is the the main course you know it's, it's these are not side dishes this this is the rhythm and this is the harmony what do you mean you know this can be a, a full meal but people crave the melody. Without that melody, the music seems to 
just sort of wander away and, and have no focus. And it's taken me a very long time. It's taken me years and years to finally just agree with them. Say, you know what? You're right. I mean, when the melody is not in focus, it's kind of like looking at a landscape painting where it's like, great, this is this is so nice. Um, you know, here's a field and some some rolling hills and a couple of trees, but it's nowhere near as captivating as if you have some people in the scene. I'm so much more interested when there's people in the scene because I can kind of picture myself in those folks' shoes. It involves me as, as a person. And I think the melody is a lot like the person in the scene. It gives you a focus and draws you in. So all that to say, yeah, the melody's king, and we've got we've got to do our best to play in service of that melody. So back to Wayne's question, he's saying, how do I not play that A string? Well, sure, I could do this. I could just roll through three of the strings, and then with my thumb, come to rest on the string that I don't want to play. Just come to rest on that string and fall into it like a hammock. Right here, if you could see my thumb, it's actually sort of perched on the A string like a parrot. It's just sitting there with the weight of my thumb and arm in the A string, which I'm trying not to play. And that does two things. When I fall into the string I don't want to play, it lets me use the full weight of my hand and arm to get a nice big tone. And because I've fallen into the string that I don't want to play, it makes sure that that string is muted because my thumb's on it. You can't hear it. My thumb's not letting it resonate. If I accidentally pluck that string, it would sound like that. Whoops. But I don't. I keep my thumb on it. I keep that string under my thumb, literally. But Wayne says, that's all fine and good. I've learned this over the course of these lessons in the ukulele way. I've also learned that I can play this using a finger-picking technique, where I have my thumb is on the fourth string, My index finger is plucking the third string, middle finger is plucking the second string, and my ring finger is plucking the first string. Well there, because I have a finger, or at least a digit, on each string, I can choose which ones to play and which ones to leave out. Great. I think Wayne totally gets that. Where he's a little stuck, is what if I want to use a more brash, kind of uh, aggressive strum on this? There's one video where I demonstrate this kind of playing style. Where I'm essentially sort of raking my index finger across all the strings all the time and really laying into the strings and getting what I feel is a tone and an attitude that suits this piece really well. What if I want to play like that? Well, how do I not just accidentally hit that A string occasionally? And you know what, Wayne? The real answer to your question is, I am hitting that A string. I'm hitting it all the time. But I have an insurance policy. And I have this insurance policy in the form of a left-hand mute. So, 
Here's how it works. If I'm holding this chord down, and I've got my middle finger here on the G note, that's the uh, third fret of the E string. Got my middle finger on that note, and that middle finger is right up on the tip of the finger. But that middle finger is doing double duty. It has secretly got another job. It's not just playing that one note. If you look really closely and you're able to get right up to my hand and sort of look around uh, on an angle that most people can't see from the audience, you would see that that finger is not only pressing down the string at the third fret on the E string, it's also lightly touching the adjacent string using the sort of fleshy underside of the finger. It's doing double duty. Fretting one note and muting the next string at the same time. So that here is the G and here is the A string right next to it. It's muted. And that means I have an insurance policy. If I were to accidentally hit that string, it's still not going to ring. There, I passed my fingers across all four strings, but you didn't hear this note because it was muted by my left hand. You didn't hear this. Not until I want you to. And maybe now I want to reveal that note. And now I want to cover it up again. And I'm doing that just by uh, the angle of my uh, middle finger on the G note, whether or not it touches the adjacent string at the same time or not. This is something that beginner players do all the time by accident. They're trying to play the chords and they're trying to get all the strings to ring, but so often they accidentally touch the next string over and it mutes the string and they, they work for months and years to get their chords to sound clean and now here we're turning around and saying, well, actually, we're using that mistake to our advantage, but on purpose and in a very controlled way. And that's what I call the, the left-hand insurance policy. <laughs> Wayne, I hope that helps to, uh, to clarify how I'm getting that sound and how I'm able to use that more aggressive strum and still have a lot of precision in the way that I'm able to bring out the melody line. Next, we have a comment from Susan, who's working on Lesson 6, All the Pretty Little Horses. And she says, When I play this song, my dog lies on my feet, and my birds sing so contentedly. I'm not sure what the animal connection is. I know this song is about horses, but I'm not singing, so they don't know that. <laughs> I just love this comment because it's, it's so whimsical and 
I just have this image of Susan, you know, lying there with her uke and playing this song and her animals just kind of, you know, curled up around her. A very sort of Dr. Doolittle kind of a scene in my mind. But I think also behind this whimsical comment is a really interesting idea. And that is when we play instrumentally, to what extent can we reflect the meaning of the lyrics? How do we do that? Is that a good thing? Is it even possible? And, you know, that's a bigger question than I can answer right here, right now. But um, I do think that it is possible. And I do think that in the great songs, we see it play out. For example, I've been working on a top secret new project that I guess I can start to talk about now. I'm very excited about it. It's an online course called Ukulele Jazz. And it's the companion to my book, Ukulele Jazz. And it's turned into a very big project. And uh, the scale of it is bigger than I thought it would be, you know, because you can't have a jazz course without really addressing um, jazz harmony, a little bit of jazz theory. Certainly, you can't have a jazz course without going into some lessons on improvisation. And I wouldn't say it's spiraled out of control, but it has it has ballooned in, in a wonderful way to become a very substantial course on how to play jazz on your ukulele. That's coming out later this month. I'm very excited about it, and I'll be talking about that more in future episodes. But the reason I bring that up is because just the other day, I was working with a, a tune by Gershwin called Somebody Loves Me, and I noticed this very thing that we're talking about right here. You know, the the way that um, the music can reflect the spirit of the lyrics and how important that is in our understanding of a song. So when Gershwin goes, um, Somebody loves me, I wonder who, I wonder who she can be. Now everything's all good there. It's very sunny and happy. And, and then things turn and the clouds sort of roll in. And he writes this. Somebody loves me, I wish I knew who she can be worries me. Now at the end of that line, things just get much darker. You have these strange clouds kind of rolling in. Just as the lyrics also get more insecure and worried, uh, the music reflects that so beautifully. So, Susan, to go back to your you know, original comment, uh, yeah, I do think somehow your pets can sense the, uh, the spirit of this piece. It's about horses. Maybe they know that. Maybe they don't. But there's something in that that they're picking up on and they are loving. So keep up the great work and thanks for the comment. Thank you.
Our final question today comes to us from Flo, who's working on Lesson 8 in Book 6. This is the Ernest Ka'ai classic, Hone Akavai. Ernest Ka'ai was one of the earliest ukulele impresarios from Hawaii, a wonderful player, composer, and ambassador for the ukulele. And he wrote this piece, Hone Akavai, which is, to be honest, one of my all-time favorite ukulele compositions. I came to it through the music of John King, and it's just one of those pieces that has had a big impact on me. To me, this piece is like a musical seashell, just small, beautiful, and perfect. There's just something about it that's so charming. I love it. And what Flo says is, she says, I've come back to this course after time out for other things. I love this piece, and I'm finally ready to tackle it, even knowing it's way above my pay grade. One thing I'm hearing that you don't mention in the commentary is the dampening of the chords. It adds a level of difficulty that I'm not quite ready for, but hope I get there someday. And this is a really good observation flow. It it underscores something that I talk about a lot in the ukulele way, and that is creating the illusion of depth in your performance. Now, what do I mean by depth in your performance? Well, maybe the easiest way to explain this is by playing Hone Akavai without any depth. And that would sound like this. Okay, now when I close my eyes, it's hard for me to differentiate the melody from the accompaniment. I can't really tell in that performance which of those parts is in the spotlight and which of them is not. The melody should be in the foreground. The melody should be closer to the camera and the chords should be in the background. How do I do that? Well, this is one of the things we work on a lot in the ukulele way. You can do it two ways. You can use dynamics and you can use articulation. So let's look at dynamics first, the softs and the louds in music. Well, I can start by making the melody a little bit louder and the accompaniment a little softer. And that would sound like this. And already I have new depth in the performance. I have cues going out to the ear to say, look, this is the part to focus on. This is the melody. 
And the other thing just sort of sits in behind. Great, so I'm halfway there. And what flow is saying is there's that extra level beyond creating depth through dynamics, and that is creating depth through articulation. In other words, having one kind of attack and sustain for the melody notes, in this case very long, and having a different kind of attack and sustain for the accompaniment chords. Very short. So we've got long and loud in the melody and short and quiet in the accompaniment. And that would sound like this. So that's ultimately the illusion that you're learning to create through the ukulele way. It's not just a method that teaches you how to play two parts at the same time. It's a method that teaches you how to play two parts at the same time and create the illusion of depth in the sound using dynamics and articulation. It teaches you how to bring the melody into the spotlight and have the accompaniment fade into the background. That is the fun, the challenge, the art, and the science of solo ukulele. Thanks, Flo, for the comment, and I hope that discussion and demonstration gets you a little bit closer to mastering that musical illusion. Tune in next week for more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions from students at uktropolis.com. And in the meantime, come on over and check out Ready Steady Ukulele or The Ukulele Way or even Ukulele X for extreme ukulele players. And for teachers, we've got the Jehui Teacher Certification Program. We've got Ukulele Jazz that's coming up later this month. I'm very excited. So keep your ear to the ground on that one. Thanks again for joining me. My name is James Hill. Until next week, keep on strumming.